Well, he is Greek-American. He's a New Yorker. It's a great American success story. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. Enlists the support of business leaders, elected officials. Katz and Matitas rub shoulders with some of the most powerful people in the world. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now that's John Katz a native New Yorker. Mixing common sense thinking with New York sensibility. He's John Katz owner of 77 WABC. And this is the Cats Roundtable on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katz here Sunday morning. We have what a great show we have for you today. We have Steve Cates talking about what's going on in our skies. We have Mario Tonomo on what's going on in Europe. Ray Kelly, tragedies in the Haiti. And how do we fix it? It's beyond fixing almost. And we have Dr. Peter Michalos, how do we live longer? John Tatches, the problems that San Francisco is having. Newt Gingrich, overall, what the heck is going on in Washington? And let's start off with another exclusive. We have Senator Joe Manchin on his trip to New Hampshire. Is he going to be a third-party candidate? With us today is uh, Senator Joe Manchin, and he's been on the top of the news lately. Uh, he's been making <laughs> national news uh, for, all the way from Beckley, West Virginia. Hey, John, great to be with you. Thank you for inviting me, and I look forward to doing more of these with you. Now, you have made national news uh, by visiting, going up to visit last Monday uh, yeah. to uh, – uh, New Hampshire, uh, along uh, with the No Labels uh, Party, or whatever they're going to call it, the Common Sense Party. Well, T- tell us about uh, it. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's truly about common sense, John. That's how, we, that's how this great country was formed. The common sense and the values that individuals had way back 240-plus years ago are the same as they have today. But the political parties have become so extreme now going to about uh, the extreme left and extreme right, that the average common sense people don't have a home. They've been left politically homeless. So anything we're doing is speaking out, saying, come on, uh, the country was not designed to be this divided. And, and I keep saying this, John, the people of America aren't divided. The people in New York aren't divided or in West Virginia. It's basically the political parties in Washington with their business model that they get better returns and their business does much better when you are fighting and dividing each other versus uniting each other and getting what's done, not only for our great country, but helping the world be better. Well, I had put you uh, in the same category with all my common sense friends. And I do know uh, the people at uh, No Labels, uh, Senator Lieberman, a good friend for forever. And uh, I just recently met Governor Hogan from Maryland and uh, our other governor from uh, was it North Carolina or South Carolina uh, that it's involved? Yeah, Pat, Pat McCrory, North Carolina. Pat yeah, McCrory, North Carolina. North Carolina. Nancy Jacobson. I go back with Nancy Jacobson that that runs uh, No Labels day to day. Back to when she was chief of staff to Evan By. Well, these are all good people. They really are, and they care about it. John, back in 2010, when I became a senator, I uh, I was governor in my second term at West Virginia. I was in two years in my second term. And I loved the job, and I was able to do something every day to help people have a better life, and it was very fulfilling. 
But what had happened, Bob Bird passed away in June of 2010. I had to make a decision. I thought, well, my state's in good shape. Maybe I can take that common-sense approach to Washington. Maybe I can do better and help people there. And that's what I did. When I got there, I said, oh, my goodness, I made a big mistake. This place is not working the way I thought it would work and the way it should work. And the way that we as governors had to work, which is making everyday common-sense decisions to help our states. John Huntsman was a dear friend of mine from Utah, being a former governor. But he was the governor then, and we'd work together. And then he had the same desire as I did to have a balance in how we work the country and making sure the country had that balance it could work on to provide more stable government. Anyway, we became the first co-chairs of No Label and the Democrat and Republican former governors. And that's how it got started. And so when Nancy and the No Labels movement, uh, I've been involved ever since because these are like-minded people that really put our country before they do any party affiliation. And I feel the same. I've always felt that. You know, whether you have a D or an R by your name, we should all have the big A by our name, America. That's who we are. That's the party we truly belong to. And it's really the oath that all of us take, John. We take an oath, the same whether you're Democrat or Republican, to defend and protect the Constitution. That's really the, the holy grail that we, that we work for every day. And right now, the business model of the Democrat and Republican Party puts themselves, I believe, and what I've seen, and we need, to, we need to basically push them back to the center-left, center-right, where basically the good old GOP and the good old Democrat and blue dogs and all of them in the central, center, central part of, the, uh, of our parties can make those decisions because right now it's not happening. So if, if that third party, if it moves in that direction, if there's a desire for that, we'll see. If the two parties get off their respective high horse on the extreme, right and left, and where they're making people divide and pick a side, uh, that's not who we are, John. The only, we should all be on the same side. You might have a different opinion and a different way of uh, approaching fixing a problem, but we should be able to identify that we all have a problem that needs to be fixed. I agree 110%. And the only position that I wasn't sure about and that uh, no labels made a statement uh, they're seriously considering a, a, a third-party candidacy, but they said only if uh, President Trump runs. And I said, why? If you're going to run, you should run. Well, first of all, no labels. You have to look at no labels. Are they providing a vehicle? Are they Would, would they provide the same vehicle that if you're a Republican, you run in the RNC, Republican National Committee, okay, has that platform for you to run on, and uh, the DNC, Democrat National Committee? The no labels would be a platform if somebody wants to run, believe that they, they're strongly in the middle and don't believe in the extremes that have to be identified as a D or an R. Are they going to have that platform? That's what no labels should be providing. And then make a decision on who wants to have that to run on that platform and then who that's going to be. So if they have that platform, and that means are they on the ballot? Are they do they have a position for a for a team, if you will? or a Democrat and Republican, former Democrat and Republican, that wishes to be uh, that independent, is there a platform for them to run on? Well, the platform can only be if we have 35 or 50 states that have the ability to have that third-party candidate compete. That's what No Labels is doing and should be doing. And then the politics will take care of itself. Who feels more comfortable in that position? Myself, I feel very comfortable in the middle. That's where I've always been. And I've said this, John, I've never met the first person that's always wrong. I never met the first person that's always right. But if I sit and talk to him long enough, I can extract good things 
and value that they have. Every person in this country has value, and we've got to work together. But then again, our allegiance relies upon who we are as Americans and how our country is strong and free. That's all I care about, and I'm doing everything I can to make sure that we have fiscal responsibility, making sure that we're living within our means and our, our economy is strong and energy is strong, have a secured border but have a work visa program to where people that come come for the right reason and contribute and pay their taxes, all the things that they're afraid to even talk about anymore. Well, uh, Senator Manchin, I agree with you 110%. I think that there's so many platforms uh, that Trump is good on, but there's a lot of platforms that Biden is good on. And if you take the best of both parties, you can come up with the perfect party. Right. But, John, here's the thing. There, when you have a good idea, the pride of authorship shouldn't be about that. Just do your job. Yes. Let everybody, you know, everybody. A good idea doesn't have, doesn't. I mean, it shouldn't have pride of ownership that no one else can be part of it. Because I can tell you, uh, when things don't go well, at least you try to do the right thing. You don't have to worry. They'll give you ownership of that, making mistakes. And we're all human. We're going to make mistakes. Just never make a mistake intentionally trying to make the other person look bad or criticize. You know, it can't always be someone else's fault. And I'm just sick and tired. I just want a little, a little bit more normality. I want to say, well, that, that makes sense. That's normal. Well, I don't agree with that, but that's okay. I don't have to make them the devil and, 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 and really villainize them because I don't agree with somebody. And I don't have to chastise an entire party uh, saying, well, the Republican Party's all wrong. There might be one person from the Republican Party that believes something that we don't, but you don't just chastise the whole party system and vice versa for the Democrats. And they've gotten to the point now that it's a business for them to be able to attack, attack, and attack like they're trying to defeat. I'm not trying to defeat anybody in the political arena. I'm trying to bring them together so that we can all win and have a united country. They call it the United States, John, not the divided states. And people have to understand the extreme left and right cannot continue to be the only two choices you have. You should have another choice to where it makes them understand and realize they might not be in the majority. Even though they think they are, they might not be. And that's what we're trying to find out. Can we move everyone back to where we've come from and how we built this great country? That's all. I agree 100 uh, percent. We want uh, common sense to prevail. We want to have control of our borders. We want to have what's best for America and the American people. And that's what's not what's best for somebody else. And, and good luck. Well, and we look forward to many, many t- more talks together. And we've we got about 30 seconds left. Anything you, else you want to tell the American people? I just want to tell the American people that it's the greatest country on earth. I've been able to have the privilege of, of traveling around the world and seeing what is going on. And the people that are coming here are coming from areas that have been oppressed. They cannot live free. They cannot have an opportunity to have a quality of life. No different than our grandparents, great-grandparents, and great-great-grandparents that came here before. This is a land of opportunity. And as long as we have people coming for the right reason, contributing to make this country stronger, we will survive. Whenever we think we can't do that, then we could be in problems. And do not let the politics divide us. It should be basically the common cause and the values that we have as Americans that unite us. That's all. Well, God, and God bless America. God bless America. Thank you so much for coming on this Sunday morning, and we'll talk again real soon. Okay, thanks, John. Thank Appreciate you. being with you. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. 
Here's the man who is New York, exploring the truth, telling both sides with common sense thinking. Here's John Katsimatidis on Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is the Cats Roundtable. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. What is today is Steve Cates, uh, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and and he always uh, makes our uh, Sunday mornings enjoyable. And uh, uh, Steve Cates, how are you this Sunday morning? Doing great, John. Good morning to you and the listeners. Good to be back here on the Cats Roundtable. So many interesting things, John, taking place. We start off our journey way out into the deep cosmos. How about this? A strange object in the universe that has a 20-minute repeating signal And it's been going on for a long time. What the heck is it? Well, some say that this stellar object 15,000 light years away may indeed be a new class of something we call a magnetar. And what's that? That's a fast-spinning neutron star, a powerful magnetic field bursting out energy in milliseconds. But what's strange about this object is that it's repeating itself and doing this 22-minute cycle lasting for five minutes at a time. So it's like a whole new category as we continue to what open up our minds and find these objects that just baffle the imagination quite amazing now also uh senator schumer has come out given a a bipartisan basis democrats and republicans getting together to announce new findings or or trying to 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 work together what do you think that means well, John, I think I, you know, I kind of salute Senator Schumer for doing this. I mean, whether it's just for political means, I hope not. But I think for science and the, uh, giving the American people a true understanding of what's going on, he basically is trying to bring both sides of the table. And I guess the question has always been, why don't we ever get to know the truth about this UFO subject? So it goes deeper. This coming week, we find out later in the week, we have a hearing, a House Oversight Committee hearing on Wednesday, in which a uh, congressman, uh, Representative Tim Burchard of Tennessee, is actually, I believe, hearing, uh, you know, chairing these hearings. And they're going to have actually David Grush, the whistleblower, testify and a few other people. So basically what the senator's doing and all these people, who knows, John, maybe we're getting to get an answer here. But let's hope this time we really do. Right. Well, that's uh, everybody's praying for the truth. And there's a lot more than we know about. It's scary what we don't know. Oh, Absolutely. What else is going on up there? John, there's a big liability claim that may be coming from a place or, I guess, a constellation for satellites called Viasat 3. What's that? It's a broadband provider with a terabit speed from space. Now they're having a problem opening up and rolling out this massive reflector on the satellite so that they can, of course, make good on all the people that are signing up. The technology is great. But if indeed they have to file a lawsuit, it may be one of the largest in aerospace and space history. $420 million claim, that would be a big hit to the aerospace industry. But we have to look at it this way, John. There's other areas of insurance needs that have to be worked out in space. What are they? Well, the growing field of liability for people flying on commercial spacecraft, that certainly is one that the experts need to figure out if anytime soon. But, John, the most bizarre one of all, which is common to human nature, we're getting close to a conversation about sex in space. And that's something that may, you know, roll back the eyes of people listening this morning. But we don't officially know if that's ever happened in space. But there's all kinds of things that we have to study about what happens when humans have sex in space. And can you imagine the first child conceived in space? That would almost be like somebody who was the first on the moon. That sounds pretty exciting. Well, we had Dr. Michalos on last week, and uh, when we were talking about those uh, storms on the sun, they said the people, yeah. the people 
that are born during the period of time when the storms are at its height tend to live five years less. Well, I would imagine so, John. He's the expert in that medical area. I would never doubt that. But just to add on to it, any of those protons or extra radiation from the sun is not really a good thing. But in deep space, the biggest problem that space travelers have to, of course, work out is how to shield us from cosmic rays and all the neutrinos that are in space. Very, very powerful. But in ending, John, well, I wanted well, to mention something interesting. Again, we talked about in the past, people going to Mars and spending six months going to Mars, all those neutrinos and all those that radiation, yes. if you try to have a baby then, aren't you in deep trouble? You probably are, John, because that's a big issue. How much can spacecraft really shield, you know, humans from radiation in space? That's a subject that really hasn't been figured out. But talking about space in closing, I wanted to, of course, reflect on Apollo 11 and some mysteries about it itself. The astronauts, when they returned to the Earth, many people may or may not know, NASA was worried about moon germs. So what did they do? They quarantined the astronauts for 21 days, never found anything bad. But on board Apollo 11, I didn't know this and had to do the research, there were actually pieces of the Wright Brothers flyer, small pieces indeed that went to the moon. And there was also another concern when the astronauts were on the moon, Armstrong and Aldrin. Believe it or not, they were worried about the hatch door locking when they went on the moon. Why? Because the hatch door opened inward. And if indeed the pressure inside was building up, let's say they didn't request it, but it did it on its own, the pressure door could not have been opened. So those feelings and problems, of course, never happened. But what about insurance for these astronauts when they went to the moon? What would happen if they never made it back? The two or three astronauts that went on Apollo 11. What they did, John, is something very interesting. They kept signing autographs in great volume every time they could, everywhere they could, just before they went on their space flight, just in case something might have happened. If they never returned, those autographs could, of course, bring their families much-needed revenue if they, of course, perished. They brought back 47 pounds of moon rocks were on the surface of the moon for about 22 hours as we salute the great mysteries and also the big facts of Apollo 11. And you get to see in the sky, John, if you look into the northeast sky, just around 2 a.m. to sunrise, starting now until early August, and into August, the beginning of the Perseid meteor shower, one of the best of the year. And if people are listening, of course, they are all over the country. They have a chance to get into dark skies as hopefully vacations continue. It's a beautiful sight to see, and uh, hopefully you yourself get to observe one of these, just like the rest of us. It's a privilege and honor to be here with you, John, talking about all these great realms, and we remind everybody to go to wabcradio.com for the Dr. Sky experience. Always a privilege and honor to be here on the Cats Roundtable. Steve Cates, thank you for bringing everybody up to date, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. I hope we find out the truth someday. Absolutely, John. We'll be on it. Thank you. With us today is Mario Economo, and he's a former banker who uh, was uh, based in New York, London, and Zurich. And uh, he has a lot of inf- informative information. Mario, what's going on this week? Good morning, Cats Roundtable. So we'll start with the weather in Europe, which is uh, extreme. We have extreme heat in the southern parts of Europe. Some countries are experiencing extreme heat in their south and massive flooding in their north. An example of that is Italy. This is doing incredible things to the wholesale energy market in uh, Europe. We've seen in the last five days roughly 40% increase 
and it's expected to continue to go up as the southern European countries continue to draw a lot of power in order to be able to fuel the various air conditioning systems which are in place, and especially so for many of the tourists that are coming and visiting Europe at this time of the year. The heat waves will continue. It's expected through August, and the forest fires as a result of these heat waves are showing once again how inadequately prepared Europe is in terms of dealing with this climactic change and the impact it's having on the forests and the ensuing fires. There's also going to be an election in Spain. Sunday we'll see a national election held. It is expected that the far right and the center right party will win. Although many people are saying that there is a possibility the center-left party, the socialists, could win and could form a coalition government with another party. The same is being said for the center-right and the far-right. They could form a coalition government. The polls are saying a lot of different things, but I don't think we can rely on polls as accurately as we used to be able to. It seems that either polls are overestimating or underestimating the power of various political parties. I do also want to mention one other thing, which is interesting, and this is going to be at the beginning of 2024, at some point at the start of the year, the European Union will require what's called a European travel information and authorization system to be put in place. This means that Americans who are now going to start traveling to Europe in the, in the new year of 2024 will have to actually file an online application, provide information, biographical information, travel plans, travel history, as well as other security questions. The process will take about an hour online. It will cost around $8, and it's going to determine whether or not an American's allowed to travel into the European Union. This is very similar to what the Europeans have been filling in with respect to the U.S. ESTA program, which basically requires Europeans to do the same thing. What will be interesting to see is when the Europeans activate the system and it comes live, will they actually be accessing the FBI's records and files on American citizens? And if not, where will they be drawing their information from in order to do the background checks required as a result of the security questions that are going to be asked? Tell us uh, right now, we're going into the month of uh, uh, August in a week or so, and and Europeans take the whole month off mostly. I mean, uh, what's happening this year? Uh, It's going to be pretty much the same. I think that after uh, several years of lockdowns and COVID, many Europeans are actually excited about the fact and the prospect that they're able to travel freely. The problem is, once again, however, the high cost of this travel and the high cost of lodging and food when you do travel to a certain destination. Food inflation continues to be stubbornly, it remains stubbornly high in the European Union, and pretty much everything they're doing to try to address it it does not seem to be working. I would like to touch on one last thing this morning, if I may, and that has to do with Russia and the Ukrainian um, uh, war. Uh, We know that the counteroffensive that the Ukrainians have launched is progressing very slowly with, at best, mixed results. We do know that in the United Kingdom, just after the NATO meeting last week, the UK defense minister has announced that the next cabinet reshuffle, he will resign as defense secretary, and he will not run for election again uh, with the conservative party. There's a lot of questions around why that has happened and why he has done that. We know that uh, President Putin has pulled Russia out of the grain deal, and we know that everybody is trying to encourage him to rejoin the grain deal. But here's the interesting thing, and this is one uh, thought I want to leave with all the listeners. Putin is putting forward two conditions. One, he wants the sanctions lifted 
on his financial institutions, which one can say, okay, that makes sense. But he's also putting something else forward, which is interesting. He's saying he wants Russia to be admitted once again back into the SWIFT payment system. And I find that interesting because a year and a half into this, we know that Russia itself, or at least we've been told and we've seen inflation is low, the ruble's doing very well, Russians in Russia are getting access to plenty of food and various other goods and services. So if everything is going that well, and if Russia and China are discussing a new digital currency, one which is going to be based on gold, oil and other natural resources, why is President Putin at this point pushing for Russia to rejoin the SWIFT payment system? That's an interesting question. The same way, why is the Fed doing a uh, experimental, uh, what, what kind of Fed uh, cyber system are they uh, coming up with in, in the United States? The Fed just put it through digital, last week. A digital payment system. Yes. Yes, and, and they're uh, advertising. They're advertising the fact that you're going to make payments within seconds. You know yes, who? That, who does uh, that benefit? Well, presumably, it's going to benefit businessmen such as yourself and myself, and the and, and also employees, salaried employees, who'll be able to see their pay uh, literally in their account within moments. They'll be able to have their expense. Uh, return uh, reimbursements within moments. Landlords yes, will be able to get their rent paid within moments without having to wait for a check to clear overnight. But that so doesn't that benefit the consumer because two-thirds of the consumers don't have the money and they probably have to borrow it and they're going to charge you interest to borrow the money to make the swift payment. My well, opinion. I mean, My opinion. Yeah, that that may happen. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I don't think we're going to be able to really understand that system until it's actually implemented. And then more importantly, the Fed has said that that system is going to be based on banks accepting it and accepting to use it. So at the end of the day, the Federal Reserve is providing a payment system, an instantaneous payment system, but it's going to be yes. up to the banks to decide banks whether or will, not it's in their interest. The banks to do will it. lend you the money to make the payment, and that way that's how they make their return on investment. Uh, Mario Kanamu, thank you so much for coming, calling in, and bringing everybody up to date on Europe. Uh, stay cool in this hot weather, and we'll, we'll catch up again with you again real soon. Thank you. Enjoy your weekend. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Exploring the truth, telling both sides with common sense thinking. Here's John Katsimatidis on Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is the Cats Roundtable. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. With us today is Ray Kelly, one of the longest-serving NYPD commissioners. And in 1994, President Bill Clinton assigned... Commissioner Kelly, to uh, Haiti to take care of things. He's been involved, and his heart was always in Haiti because he felt terrible what things are going on, and I understand things today are even worse. Commissioner Kelly, tell us what the heck is going on in in, uh, Haiti. Well, John, Haiti is a, a basket case these days. It is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. It has no functioning government. Its president was assassinated two years ago, and there's been no election since then. Over 2,000 Haitians were murdered so far this year, with 1,000 
kidnapping. Murder is almost a sport down there. It, it, the sort of voodoo has an awful lot of influence in Haiti, which is this, this fatalism that says that evil spirits cause all of the uh, all the problems. So it's it, it, it's really terrible, and there's no there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I, I must say, there's gangs. There's over 200 gangs that basically run Haiti. Both Canada and the U.S., who have helped Haiti a lot in the past, are not looking to inject any personnel or any troops there. So there is an acting president, Ariel Henry. This is his name. He is the prime minister. But it's agreed that he's largely ineffectual. So I don't know where the country goes from here. As I say, there's no savior looking in from from outside. And uh, it's just very, very disappointing. That sounds so sad. My God, how did these people... The, the country is in disarray. Uh, I mean, and you say the United States has no interest in helping. Canada has no interest in helping. How about their original country, uh, France? They have yeah, their own problems. Yeah, you're right. The, the, uh, it was a revolution there in 1804 where the Haitians broke away from France. But there seems to be no indication. You know, what's happened is they've gotten fed up with Haiti. They've had a lot of help from a lot of different countries including the United States, including Canada, and to a certain extent France. But they can't set up a country, a government, on their own. It just always collapses. So, you know, the countries don't want to spend their, their treasure and also probably their blood because the gangs are so entrenched. They have better weapons than a very meager police force that they, that they have. 34 police officers have been killed so far this year in, in Haiti and over a thousand kidnappings and, and the kidnapping for, for profit. That's what they do. And, you know, everybody is at risk if you've got any money there to have a relative or perhaps yourself uh, kidnapped. It, it so sounds it's, worse it's, than it's Mexico. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. I mean, everybody knows the problem, it sounds like. Everybody, uh, the United Nations probably knows the problem. The United States knows the problem. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell the Haitian people. How do you solve the problem? Yeah, I think the, the U.N. has kicked the can down the road. They're not doing anything now. It was an issue that was supposed to go before the Security Council, but apparently that hasn't moved. So, it, it, and of course... You know, the the losers in all of this are the Haitian people who are good people. They have a good work ethic, but they are, they're trapped. They are trapped between these gangs. And as I said, there's over over 200 gangs and they go out and they kill people. And the way they kill people is used by machetes or by using uh, tires, burning tires and put around someone who, who is alive. So it's such a brutal, brutal situation with no end in sight. I ho- I certainly hope a country stands up, but I don't think the U.S. is going to going to be that uh, that country. Uh, Commissioner, Very expensive undertaking. Commissioner Kelly, thank you for bringing us up to date, and I think uh, we should bring uh, as many people up to date as possible. And let's talk again in a few weeks and see if there's any solutions to be to be had. Thank you so much. I hope I had better news, so thanks, John. Thank you. Don't send me no doctor Filling me up with all of those pills Today we have Dr. Peter Mihalos, our in-house genius. Dr. Mihalos, uh, what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to talk about how to help our audience prevent heart attacks and strokes and the importance of 
elevated lipid profile. And we talked about one of the markers that's not used here in the United States as much, but is used a lot more in Europe, and it's called the apolipoprotein B. And that's basically the carrier. It's like the truck that carries all of the lipid particles. And LDL, the mnemonic is L is for lousy cholesterol, and H is the happy cholesterol. The happy cholesterol, why do they call it that? Because it actually has the ability to suck out some of the bad cholesterol out of the walls of arterial plaques before it really gets dense. And then the LDL, the lousy cholesterol, is actually two particles. 80% of it is a large, more buoyant particle. And then there's a smaller particle, which is the one that builds up the plaque and, and it causes people to end up needing heart stents and heart attacks. And that smaller particle, it turns out that everybody thought it was associated with just eating fats, but it turns out that eating carbohydrates and sugar causes a higher level of that bad smaller particle that seems to penetrate into the walls of blood vessels and builds up as plaque. So in addition to your cholesterol number, your triglyceride number, your LDL, your HDL, it turns out that if you can find out your apolipoprotein B level, it turns out that that as a marker is 70% more predictive than your LDL level, which is only 40% predictive of whether you're going to get a heart attack or not. And that's coming out of the new cardiology literature. So we tell our patients, consult with your doctor. And if you check my apolipoprotein B, I'd like to know where it is. And if it's somewhere between 50 and 75, you're pretty safe. If it's over 100, you have a problem and you need to be on some different measures for cholesterol control. And there's even some new medications called PSK9 inhibitors and they're developing one where you take a shot once a year or once every six months and it'll control your cholesterol. Those things are on the horizon. Right now they have a shot that's every two weeks and it works great for people who react to some of the other prescription cholesterol medicine because some of them have side effects with muscle ache, bone pain, fatigue, and other uh, issues and they end up stopping them. Of course, in milder cases, you can consult with your doctor. Some of the integrative medicine doctors also use things like red yeast rice with CoQ10 because actually Lipitor and some of those other drugs, the basis are made from a natural substance called red yeast rice. So that's why that's become also popular. But consult with your physician, control your cholesterol and your lipid profile, avoid heart attacks and plaque, and try to uh, be healthy. And the association, once again, with sugar and sugar and that bad component of the LDL cholesterol, the smaller particles that are bad, we now know associated with sugar. So please try to control blood sugar. And of course, intermittent fasting is a great way to control blood sugar and also helps to bring down your lipid profile. And that's basically the most important thing that I really want to talk about today. And also it's involved in preventing heart attacks and strokes. And if you, especially if you have a family history, you need to control it and you need to find out because if you have a genetic predisposition to high lipids and high cholesterol, you really need to catch it early and because this stuff starts building. They found plaques building up in people, you know, teenagers who are start eating things like, uh, you know, cakes and maple walnut cakes and uh, hamburgers and all these different things that we were exposed to as kids and all the white bread commercials that we were exposed to. And it turns out that those things all help slowly but surely build up plaque and help so many Americans who've developed things like diabetes. So we want to start teaching our audience. We want a healthy audience. And uh, one additional thing, when we had dinner last week and we talked about the difference between uh, when I said to you some of the fruits and vegetables we eat about eating the skin. 
And uh, you made a uh, good revelation that if it grows on trees, you can eat the skin. In other words, if a fig grows on a tree, I guess you can eat the skin. But if it grows on the ground like a tomato, then you shouldn't eat the skin. Well, what happens is, think about it, how does, you know, nature work? If, if, if you're down by ground level, animals will want to eat you. But the skin of a tomato, which some people think are uh, lectins, which uh, they think cause leaky gut syndrome and like little razor blades. And that's why a lot of animals don't really like eating the skin of tomatoes. And some animals avoid it because they know they actually feel sick after they eat them. And the same reason in Italy, uh, tomatoes were introduced from the New World in 1492. And they don't eat the skin, they eat the insides. So when things are higher up, they've evolved over time. They're not worried about being eaten up. You know, even the plant world has intelligence and it has developed a a force field around it that makes its skin more toxic so that other animals won't want to eat it. So things that are underground, like some of the root vegetables, they're okay because animals don't have easy access to them. The low-hanging things like tomatoes and eggplants and things like that, I think... Now, now, potatoes... Are they underground or are they above ground? Well, they're not. They're very shallow, so that's why the skin of potatoes. And the other reason is that a lot of things are exposed to pesticides, and most of the pesticides that you eat in a fruit are on the skin because it's a shield. That's why inside some of the best, cleanest, filtered water that you're ever going to have in your life is inside the fruit. So when you're having some nice watermelon and you test the water inside a watermelon, it's some of the freshest, cleanest water. But some of the most toxic area is the skin, any fruit, because it's exposed to various pesticides and other agents to try to control insects and bugs. So that's why, in general, it's probably better to avoid skin wherever you can. And also, organic vegetables don't have that shiny wax material. When we eat some of these shiny apples, it's sprayed on wax to seal it in. You're eating that wax. We don't really know what some of these things are doing to our gut microbiome or when our gut microbacteria see that stuff that is and, not, and, these are things not from nature. And we said uh, strawberries were okay to eat with the skin because there's no way to peel a strawberry and, and raspberries and blackberries and blueberries. And they're great also because they have a low glycemic index, and I tested that myself when I put on one of those patches that monitors glucose. And blueberries had a low glycemic index, but when I ate grapes, it shot out of the ballpark. And when I ate white rice or white bread, sugar shot up out of the ballpark. So that's part of, you know, the... Uh, and if you American. eat a bagel, you're in deep trouble because it goes to 300. Sell when it gets to yeah. 300. Well, that's why some people with smart invented the flagel, which is basically they took the inside of it out. And that's why a lot of times you and I, when we do cheat sometimes and have a bagel, we gut out the uh, bread on the inside and just try to have the outside to reduce the glycemic index. And that does help. And I've tested that out. So flagels, which are thinner, actually are not as bad as having a full-fledged bagel. Dr. Peter Mihalos, thank you for the update. And thank you for helping keeping all the listeners live longer. And God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you, John, and thanks for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. With us today is John Chachis, a uh, media expert, has uh, offices all over the country. Uh, I think today he might be in Salt Lake City. He owns one of the premier companies in San Francisco, Gumps. Very, very much concerned about what's going on in San Francisco and Chicago John Chachis, uh, tell us about San Francisco. You've been there uh, uh, lately, and 
you uh, you uh, were taken back a little bit. No, it's it's a it's a pleasure to be here, John. I mean, we have watched this slow erosion that has picked up steam, um, and as you said, we have businesses both on you know on the west coast as well as the east coast, and we recently about four years ago, moved our direct-to-consumer part of Gumps to Salt Lake City. So we actually have, um, you know, we have observable activity in all of these places. And I would just say that there's been a complete uh, change in the conduct and behavior in some of these cities, uh, which makes it hard to operate. And San Francisco is one of those. Uh, I, I guess I'd say that first you have a whole bunch of problems that were put in place uh, by COVID policies encouraging people to not go to their office, not work, get out of the city. But then when you add that on top of the urban policies for San Francisco, it just has exacerbated the problem and it has made it a really unworkable environment. You don't have safety and cleanliness in the city, and so people are, are sad about going there. We hope we can survive it. Gums has been there 165 years. We are an iconic luxury retailer in the city. We don't want to leave. But I have to say, it's quite striking how different it is to watch the operation of businesses in San Francisco versus Salt Lake City versus New York. And you, of course, have all kinds of businesses all across the country, John, much larger than mine. I'm sure you're seeing the same difference depending on what city you're in. Well, we, we see problems in San Francisco where San Francisco is at 30% or 31% of where it was pre-COVID. Chicago, maybe 50% of where it was pre-COVID. And the Exodus music is still playing in New York City. Uh, I talked to Governor uh, Murphy from New Jersey, and, and he, he sued uh, New York uh, on this congestion pricing issue. And he's very much concerned because uh, New York City, Manhattan, is dying, and now they add the congestion pricing on top of that. So I, I don't know where the heck we're going, and I'm very much concerned about our Democratic cities, and I'm very much concerned about our country. And John Chatchel. Well, there's a big difference. There's a big difference between what you see happening in Dallas and Miami and Salt Lake and Nashville than what you see happening in Seattle and San Francisco and New York. I mean, there just is a difference. And part of that is the hangover of COVID. Someone's going to have to look backward and really assess, were those the right policies? And unfortunately, we have a very divided nation. And so it, it's, it's become unpalatable to really look back and question whether we made the right decisions or wrong decisions regarding COVID. But um, I wrote this in the Wall Street Journal a month ago. We have the great fortune of cities doing things differently in this country. And so we should look at the data on hospitalizations and deaths and how many days of school were missed. And we should compare them so that we learn something when the next thing comes up. But, you know, in the end, your comment about the city of New York and congestion pricing, I mean, cities have to have people conducting commerce. They have to have people that come and buy things, go to restaurants and, and bars and events. And if they're afraid to come into the cities because they're not pleasant or they're unsafe, then cities have a real problem. And the idea of New York instituting congestion pricing as another way of finding more money out of the pocket of the consumer, it's just absurd. So I, I hope somehow at some point there's some sense that comes into these policy decisions. Last week, Aaron Peskin, one of the city supervisors in San Francisco, made a comment about you know, home 
homelessness. I mean, it's just, a, it's just crazy what some of these people that are saying. You can't have homeless, unwell, scary people dominating the city of San Francisco and hope that anybody else will come in and walk into our store. It just won't happen. We have a major problem in our stores. The drugstores, uh, CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aids have been closing up all over the place. They've been locking up uh, some of the products. How do you do business when you, when you lock up key products in a drugstore? We have a major problem, uh, John Chatches. Thank you for coming on, and we'll talk again real soon. Nice to talk to you, John. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story with common sense thinking. It's the Cats Roundtable. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. Joining us now is the great former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. Uh, Newt, um, I assume you were also, by the way, watching the IRS whistleblower hearing today. This is huge. It's still going on. Well, look, I think that the elite media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the other networks all have a real crisis now. You have real validation by several different people from several different agencies that the effort to get to justice with Hunter Biden was consistently being blocked. The attorney general, I think, has forgotten that the only cabinet officer ever to go to jail in the history of the United States was the attorney general, Mitchell in Watergate, uh, and he went to jail for obstruction of justice. And I think you're very close to having an obstruction of justice case being built here. Uh, it's also important to remember, this is not about Hunter Biden. This is about Joe Biden. Hunter Biden was the bag man. Uh, Hunter Biden was not hired ever for his own skills. He was hired for being his father's son and for being uh, the entry point to a network of influence and corruption. And I think uh, as we learn more about the Biden crime family, uh, this is all going to get to be steadily worse. And you have two parallels. You have the corruption of the Biden family and you have the corruption of the Department of Justice, the IRS and the FBI. Uh, And it's these two parallels that are really so sobering and so complicated. You know, Newt, I was watching the hearings all day. I was I was glued to them. And what I was really amazed by, first of all, I found these guys to be very credible, uh, both of them with 10 years in the IRS. One of them was the direct agent right there on the Hunter Biden case. The other one is Gary Shapley, his supervisor. And they were very methodical and also saying what they knew and what they didn't know. And just to your point, what I found stunning and I believe it was Shapley who said it was, we wanted to go after, you know, the president. We wanted to go after, at the time, you know, the former vice president, because we saw this money train. We saw money going, and it was tens of millions of dollars they're talking about, going to the grandkids, first off, which was odd. You know, why are you paying the grandkids X? Um, and then we wanted to go after the father. We wanted to look at, at least look at these allegations. They were blocked Every step of the way, it was stunning. And they also said in all the years, and Shapley uh, said that he had done investigations in a dozen countries. I mean, these were seasoned guys, said he had never seen this. What was your reaction to just blatant, to me, stonewalling? And, and it begs so many questions today of who else needs to go under oath now after this. Well, I mean, first of all, you're, you're about to have a direct confrontation between the U.S. attorney in Delaware and the attorney general, because they're telling opposite stories. Now, one of them is lying, and my hunch is it's the attorney general. Uh, so that that's going to be a, a very key part of how this plays out. Second, 
Um, I mean, let, let's be straight here. Joe Biden has been lying to the country for years, just plain straight out lying. He said he didn't know what was going on. We now know he actually met with a number of these players. Uh, you know, when I when I learned the other day that as a as a result of one of the deals uh, that that Hunter bought a hundred and forty two thousand dollar Porsche, and I thought to myself, how how could Joe Biden with a straight face tell the country he didn't notice that his son had bought a hundred and forty two thousand dollar car? He didn't say to him, "Gosh, where's the money coming from?" I mean. You you have to have a stunning willingness uh, to just deny reality, and and that's why I wrote a newsletter at Gingrich 360 last week about the granddaughter who Joe Biden refuses to admit exists, because uh, a, a man who will get his entire family to agree to make a four-year-old girl a non-person uh, is a man who is so ruthless and so cold. Uh, that you know they have lived their life out, uh, keep thinking they will always get away with it. You know, what I, I'm going to repeat something that this is where my jaw dropped in the hearing today. This is the whistleblower ex who for the first time came out publicly. Um, he said by his own accord, he said he's a Democrat, he's uh, gay. He brought that up because he said, I have no political agenda whatsoever. He said, I want people to know I'm here because I couldn't take it anymore. His name is Joe Ziegler. And here's the exchange. He was asked by Comer, how much money from Romania came into Hunter Biden and his family and others? This is John Katz from TV's. If you want to hear the full interview, go to WABCRadio.com. Thank you for listening to the Katz Roundtable. Every Sunday morning, we'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.